are you? Good, good. I got my white here. Yeah, thank you for all your patience with this, man. Sincerely appreciate it. Oh, no way, man. Thanks for doing it in the first place. I'm, it's cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, we, no worries, man. Are you busy doing like loads of interviews? Ton of press. Ton of press. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. cool. We did, uh, yeah, it's always fantastic. Not complaining at all. No, it's mm. been um, it's it's been one of those things. It's been a it's just been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's yeah. been a pleasure. We we did some great stuff last week with Elton. Um, we had a beautiful event uh, on Wednesday with Cameron Crow and Atticus Ross, the composer. Cool. Wow. We had uh, a beautiful event Thursday or Friday at the Grammy Museum. Wow. Bob Santelli, Jim James, wow. uh, Brian, um, and then yeah, we've started doing. Oh, the light went out. Sorry, but and then we started <laughs> doing some interviews now with uh, for the international press. So we oh. started. So we started doing that. Oh, that's class! Wow, that is. Really, I yeah. loved. I loved the movie. I thought it was great. Oh, thank you, thank you very much, man. Thank you. How did you? Uh, how did you go about getting all the people? Like, because it's like Bruce Springsteen is in it, Elton is in it, and loads of people. Like, did you just ask them, and were they cool about it, or how did that work out? Yeah, you know what we did. We just uh, I put together a list, a kind of a, a wish list, if you will. Um, I started with that, and I I didn't want a lot of talking heads. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't want. I just wanted to have like a really diverse list and I, I wanted to have different genres. I wanted to have different eras. Uh, I mean, I wanted to have different parts of the world uh, yeah. represented. And yeah. so, you know, Bruce, you know, represents, you know, the U S right. There's no greater icon no. and, uh, and, and Elton for the UK and uh, Gustavo Dudamel, who's from South America. He's from Venezuela and he's a classical music conductor. And I put together this dream list and uh, kind of this wish list mm. and went out to everybody and everybody said yes. That's uh, cool. Yeah, no, it couldn't, you know, it was one of those things. It was, uh, I don't know, you'd have to, um, you know, you have to be a pretty big hard ass, I think, to say no to Brian Wilson, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How come? How come um, Van Dyke Parks didn't do it? You know Did what? There's, there's, there's some um, that I mean, I didn't. To be honest with you, I didn't ask Van Dyke. There's a lot of people right. that are not in the film simply because they're in so many other films. Right. Them. I get you. I get you. Yeah, and Van Dyke, who is a you know incredible contributor and a, a great part of Brian's story. Hmm. Um, but you know, he's pretty much in every Brian Wilson documentary and every Brian <laughs> Wilson book. Yeah. And yeah. Then, um, so there was a, um, kind of an effort on my part, not to, you know, to try to kind of reduce some redundancy, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, and, uh, um, and unfortunately kind of Van Dyke kind of, kind of fell into that category. Yeah. Well, you know, it worked though. I loved it. I love the idea that you got Brian in a car talking because you could see that it kind of, he did, wasn't, I'm sure he was aware there was like a GoPro or a camera on him, but it you could see he was more at ease. Because every interview I've seen with him, maybe not the Smile documentary one, but most of the other ones, he's very monosyllabic answers. It's just like, yes, no, yeah. And you can see he just wants to get the hell out of there. But this, you could see he was at ease and he was like more open when he was talking. Did you, was that purpose, obviously it was purposely done, but when when did you come up with the idea to do that? Yeah, no, that was exactly it. Is um, precisely the, the issue was that every 
Brian Wilson interview you've ever seen, whether it's on YouTube or in other documentaries, you can just tell he's uncomfortable with doing interviews. He just yeah. doesn't like them. Yeah. Uh, um, and I tried to do an interview. I tried a couple of different ways, a couple of different styles to, mm. to try to kind of ease Brian. And, and none of them really seemed to kind of work. And um, I knew uh, after my last attempt, which you see a little bit of at the beginning of the film, you know, that's me trying to interview Brian at the very beginning of the movie. Right. And I do that to kind of show how difficult it is. And he just, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he just doesn't like it. He just doesn't like it at all. I mean, to be simple, I mean, to put it simply, he doesn't like sitting down under the lights with a microphone on answering questions. It make him, makes him feel uncomfortable. And I failed pretty miserably at that. <laughs> I was like, you know, man, yeah. Brian, uh, you know, so I was like, I'll never work again. And, <laughs> um, but Gene Cleaver's Brian's publicist and manager suggested that I talk to Jason Fine, Rolling Stone. And Jason had been interviewing Brian for years. And they developed a relationship. And so I spoke to Brian or I'm sorry, I spoke to Jason. And Jason said that, you know, look, man, he goes, I, you know, when I interview Brian, I, I try not to just set him down and get my 20 minutes with him. Right. right. Like that's, that's always seems to be, you know, uh, the way to really interfere with Brian is, is, is to try to get that answers out of him in 20, 30 minutes. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I'll just spend a lot of time with him and driving around. And Jason had written a really beautiful article called Brian Wilson's Better Days for Rolling Stone. And in that article, he describes going out to sushi and going out to dinner. And they went to the movies and saw the Wrecking Crew documentary and all these kind of, you know. And I thought to myself, you know, that's the movie I want to see. That's, that's yeah. what I want. So um, I pitched Jason the idea and he said yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh yeah, that was that was how it how it all came about. Oh, it's great! I really I really thought it worked. I it was I felt sad seeing Brian at sometimes, especially when he was talking about he didn't know about Jack Riley. I was like, what? And you could just see instantly he was welling up and getting sad, and it kind of you know breaks your heart seeing the guy like that because he's such a sweet. You can tell he's a really sweet person, and he just went kind of quiet, and then. He played, asked to play, it's okay. And I noticed maybe that was just me being too, you know, looking at it too finely. But I noticed every time he kind of felt a bit off, he would ask to put on, it's okay by the Beach Boys. That's one yeah, thing I kind not. of noticed. I don't know, was that... No, did it? that is something that Brian, that was a, it was a, a beautiful discovery for us, you know, um, right. in the film is how, because he, you see that, you see him ask for it's okay, I think two times in a film. Yeah. But um, we obviously, you know, we shot about 70 hours with Brian in the car. Wow. So you, um, he asks for that song a, a few other times. Anytime that he starts to kind of get, you know, a little nervous or a little scared, he would ask for that song. And I just thought it was amazing that he used that song um, as almost like a mantra, um, as, as something that soothes him. And it's a song that I, you know, I hadn't paid too much attention to as a Beach Boy fan. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's a fun song. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was nice and, you know, yeah. I didn't pay that much attention to it. Yeah. But when you see Brian request it and how Brian uses it to, to help him, then I go back in the film, I go back and I listen to the song 
And it's like, wow, this is an amazing, this is an amazing song now. And I hear, I read the lyrics kind of applied it to Brian for the first time. And, uh, you know, it's okay is, is what Brian tells himself, you know, like, it's okay. You know, the, the, the voices aren't going to get me. It's okay. You know? And so it's, it's a pretty, um, I think, um, for just kind of a lack of a better word, kind of a, a miraculous revelation to see Brian use that song and those lyrics and um, to to calm himself down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was sweet. It was sweet. And I think I think most people are going to pick up on that when they watch the documentary. You could kind of you could kind of feel it from him. And yeah, there's just a sweetness I always liked about Brian. I always felt personally an inf- an affinity with him. You know, when I first heard his music, I was like, whoa, I have, you know, we all have kind of mental health issues. And then when you read about him and you're kind of like, well, you feel an affinity with that person. And I think his music just does something like there's something just magical about his music. And uh, I don't know. Do you feel the same way when you listen to the Beach Boys or how did you get into the Beach Boys? Because, you know, everyone has their own little Beach Boys story. Sure, sure. No, I I absolutely feel that way. I think for... I think, you know, there's obviously there's um, there's two camps, if you will, of, of fans. You know, you get those that group of fans that they just want to kind of hear the surfing songs and have a good time. Yeah. And, and, you know, it brings tremendous joy to them. Um, and then there is, a, I think, a camp of fans that uh, understands that there is something much deeper to Brian's music that, that runs much deeper. Yeah. Even in the happy songs, right? You know, um, you know, wouldn't it be nice? It's a, it's a question mark. It's like, would it be nice? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the girls are on the beach, but they're out of reach unless, you know, um, so there was always this kind of dark undercurrent um, to Brian's music, even in his happiest of music that I think a group of fans has always identified with. And yeah. I was certainly one of those fans. Yeah. Um, I, I, I realized really early on, I, I had, my, my father had passed away when I was nine and, um, uh, I was going through his records kind of just, I guess, subconsciously trying to identify, trying to figure out who this person was. And, you know, he had this amazing record collection and I played, uh, I saw an album and it had these really cool guys on the cover in their blue jackets standing in front of a Corvette. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's kind of badass. <laughs> so I, I picked that album up and uh, and I played it. And um, I, yeah, I was hooked from then on. Yeah. Uh, um, I was like, this is amazing, fun stuff. And uh, my father's name was Buddy. And the first song I played was Shut Down. And it was, tack it up, tack it up. Buddy's going to shut you down. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> uh, I thought, oh, holy hell, this is pretty amazing. Yeah. So that kind of, that pulls you in. But I think if you're um, a sensitive person or if you're, um, if you have that, uh, as you said, may, maybe you struggle with depression or sadness. You don't know what's depression, or maybe you identify with those kinds of things. I think at some point you'll discover in my room, and you know, in that early music, and then that's it. Then you're hooked, right? I, I call yeah. in my room the gateway drug. <laughs> that's that's the one that will send you down the path yeah. of 
of like if you can identify with that song and and hook and that hooks you in, then you're that's it. You're you're addicted for the rest of your life to Brian Wilson's music, and you will seek it out, and you will find depth in it, probably that you won't find in in many artists, and certainly not many artists for over sixty years now. Yeah, that's for sure. And there's always that kind of rivalry. Like I love the Beatles. Like who doesn't love the Beatles? But I love the Beatles. But even when McCartney's singing a like melancholic song. I always feel like he's he's not experiencing that thing. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know the guy. But he's just such a great kind of songwriter. He can tell he can just write about that. But with Brian's music, I always find that it, he is, what he's playing, you're feeling almost, you know? Uh, no, a, a thousand percent. And, and you're right. I mean, you know, maybe Paul suffers and, and, and we don't know that. No. But you're right. I think he's just an amazing songwriter and he's able to tap into those emotions Whereas with Brian Wilson, you know he's living those emotions. And when he says he's a cork on the ocean, and he <laughs> that, you know, he's a rock in a landslide, you know he feels that way. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's the difference with, with Brian and Paul, in my personal opinion, because I, I agree. He said, I think Paul can tap into it, but Brian yeah. lives it. But Brian yeah. lives it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He taps into it for sure. For sure. How um, how many uh, like drives did you actually take? Was it just like, was it one lot? I'm sure it was a few of them. Or was it just a no, few long was, ones? Think, or? Yeah, we did it over, I want to say, eight days, I think. We did eight days of driving. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it, was, but it was spread out over uh, eight days, over, I don't know, nine, ten months, or eight, nine, eight or nine months, something like that. Six, mm. Maybe six months. I take that back. About six months. Because uh, Jason, obviously, is the editor of Rolling Stone. He had a day job. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so I had, had to work around Jason's day job. And Brian constantly tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we had to kind of work around the tours. So yeah, getting those guys to be able to kind of be together for, uh, you know, for a day or two. We, I think we did them in two-day blocks, if I remember correctly. We would always try to do two days at a time. But right. we never did more than two days. Right. Uh, and I, think, I said, I think we did eight days. So I think those those eight days were spread out over about uh, six, seven months, something like that. And again, almost about 70 hours. So we would do about, uh, you know, six, seven, eight hours uh, a drive. And uh, the camera's just rolling the whole time. Wow. What what was it like being in the studio when he was recording the, the tracks? That must have been savage, man. It looks so oh. cool. Yeah, it was a, a incredible moment. But I'll take with me the rest of my life. Yeah. One of the, it was one of the greatest days of my life. Um, simply, it was just you know you feel like I, I was. Uh, I did a panel the other night with Jim James, and you know Jim is a really spiritual guy, and and um, and Jim was just like you know because he was there in the studio, of course. You know he was doing Long Promise Road, and then later Right Where I Belong. Yeah, with Paul. And Jim and I were talking about it and he goes, he goes, seeing those moments, he goes, he's like, it, it makes you believe in a higher book being <laughs> yeah. and because there's just, there's just no way a human being on their own can just kind of manifest that magic. And as I was standing there, as you, as you see it in the film, the first song that Brian's working on is Honeycomb. Yeah. And, um, and that scene happened pretty much in real time. What you see there in the movie 
is, is Brian in real time directing his band and guiding his band. And, and he came into that studio and they worked that song out and they recorded and they banged out like two, three takes and just like no time. And Brian was just full of energy and directions and notes. And I stood there thinking, my God, this is exactly what it must have been like in 64, 65, you know, yeah. he's you know, making good vibrations or God only knows, or particularly God only knows in the pet sounds stuff where they were all in one room, right? Because we had yeah. Brian's entire band in the room, which is something that I, I wanted to do. I didn't want to do these sessions on Pro Tools where, you know, one guy laid down his track and another guy comes in, lays down his track. I, I didn't want to do it that way. I wanted to do it like 64, 65, where they're all in a room and Brian's interacting with his band. And I just thought it would create for better energy. And fortunately, I, I was right, because you see it in the film. You see Brian just taking on those guys and having that moment. And um, yeah, I started to cry. I you know, <laughs> was like... I, uh, I I started to kind of wipe away a tear and wanted to like didn't want to see anybody see me crying and I looked over and I, <laughs> you know like this big grit crying and I oh. see like you know one of the camera operators cry and David Calcano my art director <laughs> he's crying because <laughs> we all yeah anyone in that room knew this was a unbelievable moment to watch him it's like. I don't know, watching Da Vinci paint. I mean, I don't, you know, if you were standing there and you happened to watch me and you happened to see Da Vinci paint, it had to have been the exact same kind of emotion, yeah. you know, or, or to watch, you know, hell, I don't know, Thomas Jefferson write the Constitution. I, you know, <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's just a divine uh, moment. And uh, yeah, I'll carry it with me the rest of my life. Yeah, it was cool. I loved the way he was kind of telling them was a Paul Mertens playing the sax, yeah. And he yes, was telling yeah. them, no, no, do this, do this. And you could yeah. see, you could see the kind of layers have been built up. And then, you know, when you hear the song afterwards, I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Because I listened to the soundtrack, which is, uh, I was like surprised there was a soundtrack for it. I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> I went to lines of soundtrack. I was like, oh, sweet, I listened to that. So it was cool kind of hearing, you know, as musicians, you know, everyone writes their own different way. And, you know, there's always, there's, there's little things that it's, it's so interesting to hear how someone cooks their music, if you know what I mean, like, and builds their colours within their music. And it was, I liked that, the way he was like, no, stop there. And you could see where he was kind of going from that. It was so interesting. It's fascinating, isn't it? And Paul's an incredible saxophone player. Who and a great arranger. He's a great arranger. Amazing arranger who's been with Brian forever. And yet even he is like, you know, playing one note too many. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, and like, you know, Brian's like, no, I hear three notes here, not four. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and there's nobody who could get into Paul's head or Brian's head more so probably than Paul, right? Right. And, and yet even Paul couldn't get into, you know, into Brian's head. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Which is, I think that's for anybody who knows Brian's band and, and, you know, or knows Brian, knows how important Paul is in Brian's life. And, and and important to him musically, and yeah, even he, for all the times that he has spent with Brian, he can't get inside Brian's head. You know, That's yeah, cool. Brian's like, no man, you're playing one too many notes. It's this. Ah, ah, ah. That's <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> that is cool. And uh, you can see his band, like Darian and all them guys. They're so you know, you can see how supportive they are with him. 
you know, yes. they take their time with them and they understand, you know, and I think he needs, not I don't know, Brian, but I think he needs that kind of comfort to feel comfortable and not feel overwhelmed because, you know, he's an introverted guy in an extroverted uh, career almost, you know. Great way to put it. That's a, man, that's a, you're, you're absolutely right. He's an introverted guy in an extroverted, extroverted career. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. And there was a moment, one of my favorite moments in the film, actually, um, is when Bruce Springsteen is talking about Brian's band. And he, and he talks about how um, when he went and saw them, and, you know, Bruce is a big fan, and he's gone to see Brian in the band several times. And um, he talked about in the film about how, the first time he went and saw them, he thought for sure they were playing tapes. And, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but no, he goes, they're not playing tapes. He goes, they're just honoring this music. And then Bruce says something very lovely. And he goes, when you see a show, you know that everyone on that stage loves Brian Wilson. Yeah. And, um, and, and that, I, I love that moment. I, I, that's my tip of the hat to Brian's band, because um, I think you're right. I think they, they, they do love Brian and they are so uh, kind and generous with him and they do support him in a, in such a loving and supporting way that it makes him to be out on the road possible mm. and it makes him to be in the studio possible. And um, I, I wanted to have that moment in the film where, where Bruce Springsteen says, you know, this is a kick-ass band. Yeah, 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 for sure. I always wonder, like, you know, there's always that thing with Brian you always kind of, you know, if this happened and if that happened and this happened, you know, I always kind of wonder if he had that band in the 60s, you know, as almost like he went solo and had that band, you know, what he could have done. I, it's, you know, I know there's ifs and buts and maybes in life, but there's always yeah. that wonder. I think he probably needed that support back then. Not saying the Beach Boys weren't supportive with them, but you can tell the other boys were do had their own lives and, you know, yes. you can't blame them in every, you know, in every way, but I think he just needed that support and like mental right. illness wasn't that understood really back then or tolerated really. I don't think it was as tolerated. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think there was just a, um, they just questioned and rightfully so, right? They were successful um and you know how much do you mess with the formula you know they all <laughs> grown to a custom to a pretty good lifestyle you know as musicians and you yeah. know it's and all of a sudden you know now you're not thinking about cars and girls and you know and and it starts to get a little weird and it yeah. starts to get a little you know uh, uh experimental and it's kind of it's kind of like, well, hang on a second. You know, I've got a big house up in the Hollywood Hills with a mortgage. Yep. And, um, you know, is this going to sell? Maybe that was a factor. I, I assume that was a factor. I mean, it had to have been a factor. Sure. I think it's a factor in every artist's journey, right? Where, you know, where art meets commerce. And um, that's always a difficult transition. So I, I would, I think you're right, Paul. I think that there was the, the band. The, the Beach Boys just didn't have the confidence, I think, in Brian and where he was going. Um, uh, maybe they did later, but but certainly Brian's band now, mm. through history and hindsight, can go, all right, I'm going to do whatever this guy says. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how weird it is or how unique or, you know, whether or not I agree with it, yeah. I'm going to do it because he's Brian Wilson. And I don't think he had that support you know, from, from the beach boys. 
Yeah. Um, and that coupled with, you know, um, Brian's own issues, right? His own addiction and health issues and things like that certainly made for just a, um, yeah, a, a, a mess of, of problems to try to overcome as a band. And then, oh, by the way, you know, you're also family. You know, yeah. you're doing this with your two brothers and your cousin and your neighbor <laughs> your whole life. So yeah. Al, for all intents and parts, family. And, you know, you know, how much shit do you want to take from your big brother? You know, if you're Dennis and Carl, at some point you're like, you know, he's, he's your big brother and you're going to rebel against your big brother. Exactly. Right? You know, and, you know, you don't think Brian Wilson's a genius because he's your you know, he's your dumb shit cousin. <laughs> and that's, that's how you see him first, you know? And so, yeah, it just made for, which is why, of course, I think one of the Beach Boys stories is just so, you know, complex and complicated. And, and we're always so amazed and, and by it because it is a, a, a riddle, you know, wrapped in a mystery, surrounded by an enigma. <laughs> that's so true. But I think almost in a weird way, that whole conflict, it's made their story so interesting. They had this huge, you know, you have Mike Love. I don't want to shit in Mike Love because everyone's done it enough. But, um, you know, you have Mike Love who's the, oh, let's sell records. And you have Brian who's the, let's make art. And that yes. dichotomy, it, 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 you know, it made for turmoil. But within a, a story, you know, people... I don't know, you, you can get remembered by stories for the wrong reasons or the right reasons. And I think I'd rather he made more art than money, personally, as a musician. But, sure. yes. you know, from a story point of view, if you want to go like that, it has created a mythos for the Beach Boys. Yeah, that's a fantastic word for it, a mythos. Is, and you're absolutely right. And, and, and there's also, too, that there's something, in, in particularly in rock and roll, I think, that's, that's, that's very specific. Like, you, your bands, right? You... You have your image and you impart your um, your imagination onto your bands mm-hmm. and you want your bands to be a community and you want them to love each other as much as you love them. I, yeah. I hate that Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend ride in separate cars. I know. You know what I mean? I, 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 that, that breaks my heart. You know what I mean? Um, that, that Keith and Mick didn't speak to each other for however many years it was until the, like they didn't speak to each other once in the entire eighties. Like there's an entire wow. decade where those guys didn't even speak to each other. You hate that because you, in our minds as listeners and as fans, you know, it's a, it's a brotherhood. And, yeah. you know, and we, we, we put that image on top of them and we certainly do that with the beach boys and you certainly do that with the who or the Eagles or whomever. Right. And you, you know, you want them all, you, you have in this, in your mind, this vision of those guys just sitting around and creating music and harmony and hanging out and laughing because that's what we dream being in a rock and roll band is about. And, uh, but of course it's, it's always much more complicated than that. And uh, and the Beach Boys story is in the world of rock and roll, in the world where you are, you know, what other jobs, what other professions do you take at 16, 17, 18 years old, 19 years old, where you're expected to be with that person for the rest of your life? You That's know, so true. You know, uh, I'll, you know, if I work with a different 
editor or different director of photography or a different sound mixer, nobody cares. But if, you know, but if uh, Brian works with, doesn't work with his brothers, it's like, Oh, something's wrong. And yeah. so we put that on there, but their story is it, it is, it is mythic in the world of rock and roll where that stuff is crazy. The Doobie brothers, <laughs> the Doobie girls, the who, whatever. There's his next level. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's what I love about jazz musicians. You know, like I love jazz. It's like, they all just play together. They don't care. They're like, hey, you know, Miles will play with Herbie and Herbie will play with, you know, Coltrane. And I kind of wish rock was kind of like that in a lot of ways. It's it's uh, jazz musicians, you know, everyone's got an an ego to a certain extent. You know, Miles definitely did. But there's more of that, like, you know, let's just jam. Let's yeah. you know, like like let's just get in it. And I find with rock music, as much as I love it, there there there's more of an ego and what their image looks like and all this kind of stuff as opposed to jazz. Very hundred percent so. I, I agree. There, there's something about um, I think kind of maybe an anonymity that kind of comes with jazz, right? Mm. Those guys, you know, uh, they have a little bit more of an anonymity. You know, you don't see them on. You know, the Ed Sullivan show, you know, Miles yeah. Davis is not going to get 64 million viewers on yeah. Ed Sullivan, right? As, as incredible as an artist he as he is in his right, you know, he's never going to play, you know, Shea Stadium, right? No. And so there's an anonymity that I think jazz musicians can kind of enjoy that yeah. allows them that kind of, you know, uh, uh, ability and flexibility, yeah. right? But if, uh, but if Bruce Springsteen, you know, shows up without little Steven at, you know, at the Met, you know, uh, you know, playing 80,000 people, that's going to be the lead story, right? It's like, yeah. well, why did little Steven show up that night? <laughs> um, you know, that, that's going to be the first line. So, you know, I do. I think they enjoy an anonymity that, that doesn't come up with rock. And, uh, and I'm like you. I wish there was... I wish they did have that freedom yeah. that, that Brian can just go make his music with whomever he wants to make his music or, yeah, or, you know, Don Henley or, you know, whomever, you know what I mean? It's, I think some of those moments, I know the Beatles tried it. That was great. You know, you'd see Eric Clapton playing on kind of the Beatles songs and yeah, cool. things like that, but you didn't see it. You, yeah. you, you know what I mean? It was like yeah. they would come in and kind of jam in the studio, but if Eric Clapton ever played Ed Sullivan with the Beatles, I don't know, man. The world would probably have caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you seen the Get Back documentary? I have, and I'm really jealous. I am so jealous that Peter Jackson got all that time, man. Seven hours is so cool, uh, isn't it? It really so is. cool. It's. Yeah. A, I love the fact that you know they they gave him that much time to to tell that story because I do. I think when you see that film, it's um, it's. And I did this, I tried to do this with the Brian doc too. It's like, you don't make, I try not to make just the film. I tried to make a, almost kind of an historical record. Yeah. Uh, what it's like to be with Brian Wilson, what yeah. Brian Wilson is like. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought was, you know, a hundred years from now, if somebody's going to make a, another movie about Brian Wilson and, and I'm sure they will. And then, you know, maybe it'll be projected on a hologram or something, whatever <laughs> the technology is going to be in hundred years. I want them to study this documentary as you know this is what brian wilson was like and i think you get that obviously with the get back right like when you see that footage and that amount of footage you get 
okay, this is what it was like to be in the studio with the Beatles. And it's, it becomes more than a film. It becomes an historical reference. And that's, that's, that's a hell of a statement to be able to make, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I thought the, I loved the pacing of your documentary. I thought the way you paced it and everything. And, you know, like you were saying, the talking heads were there, but they weren't, you know, overbearing. Because sometimes, you know, you know, they're kind of sanctifying someone too much. You're like, oh, yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? So you kind of, yeah. I just like that you, you heard them, but then you heard from Brian and it was more like, it was like you were kind of um, snooping on someone's conversation in a car, which I just liked that that thing, how he was open and he was, you know, he had those moments where he was sad and when he was happy and when he's excited and when he was, you seen the facets of him compared to the normal, like we were saying earlier, just him going, yep, 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 bye, I want to get out of here. So, yeah, congrats on no, that. I'm, that was great. I'm really happy how it worked out. It was a risk. You know, we took a big chance not knowing if it was going to work that way, um, not knowing would Brian respond. And um, right away, as we, even when we started to kind of pull out of the house, um, he started to talk about Dennis, that scene where he talks about yeah. Dennis. Didn't hear the record. I was like, whoa, how has he never heard that record? I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. He has to remember back in the 70s. Exactly. And I think there's a part of that. And I've said that in some other interviews before, because I think a lot of people are uh, like, you know, I know Brian has said he's heard that record. And and I think some people, you know, have even noted that Brian talked about Jack Rowley in the past. But my kind of thing is, is that this is what Brian's remembering now. Yeah. And, you know, it's not necessarily an historical documentary. It's an emotional documentary. Yeah. And um, and if Brian doesn't remember listening to Long or listening to Pacific Ocean Blue, well, then that's good enough for me. Yeah. And that is his reaction right now in his mind. He's hearing it again for the first time. And, and that's a re- pretty remarkable thing to witness. And yeah. I told her um, I thought it was going to be too painful for him. And uh, I told our DP, uh, kind of Max, me, really nice guy. And I said, look, Max, I said, I think he's only going to be in there for about 10 minutes listening to this album. Don't even bring in the tripod. Let's just go in and, you know, capture this moment. We'll get in and get out. And uh, poor Max had to sit there, handheld, (laughs) big camera rig for almost 50 minutes. Because Brian listened to every song in its entirety album. Every song in its entirety. Wow, that's a great record. I love that record. It's a br- Amazing like, record. Farewell, yeah. my friend. I think that is such a beautiful song. I like. Yeah. I always thought that that'd be a song if Brian heard, he'd be like, "Okay, I dig that kind of song." What What was his reactions? I know you showed parts of it in the thing, but watching when he was listening to the whole thing, what was his reactions? Was he commenting on different things, or was he just staying still? Yeah, I think he was just taking it in, right? Mm. Like, you know, he you would see those moments where he would just kind of nod and go, good. You know, that's good. And I, I think he was just proud of Dennis. Yeah. So I don't I don't think he needed to kind of like kind of break it down or comment on it or anything like that. I think it was just pride. You know, he's hearing the songs and he's liking them and he's just going, yeah. that's a good song, you know, because he kept saying good a yeah. lot. Good. <laughs> You know, and it, he would say it in, with like pride, mm. and so I I think that's one of the the themes of the film um, that I was surprised by myself. I didn't expect was going to come through as, as much as it did, and I don't think any filmmaker really understands what they've got until they get in the edit bay. But I certainly didn't expect when we started 
kind of piece it all together, how much uh, Brian was going to talk about Carl and Dennis and how much he was going to express his love for, for his brothers. And I think in some ways, Brian was saying things that he wished he had said to Carl and Dennis. I think Brian wishes he could have told Dennis, Hey, that's a good song. Yeah. You know, um, I think he wishes he could have told Carl that long promise road is a good song. And I like this song and I play this song. Yeah. And, um, and I don't, of course he didn't, but I feel in some ways this film kind of gives him that opportunity to, to be able to do that. Yeah. I, I, I'd say a lot of that stuff is, and I'm just saying, I don't know, but you know, his father, I think their father had such an influence on them and the way they kind of communicated with each other, because you know, you're, there is that saying your parents fuck you up, but so I, I just think there, there was always that kind of thing where they could be, they were always going to be a little distant with each other, but inside probably they just didn't know how to say it because the way their father kind of was with them, he did a lot of bad things to them, especially selling the the catalog. I thought that was just such a, you know, that that would eat you up for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think you know those uh, children that survive abuse, right? And you know, mm-hmm. and Murray was abusive. You know, he was physically abusive, and um, children that are survivors of physical abuse, you're right, they are repressed, right? Yeah, and they seek. Um, they, they seek ways to express themselves in different ways. And, you know, whether that's through drug and alcohol or food or rage or uh, uh, unrelenting pursuit of, of something for Brian, it was music and drugs and food, you know, yeah, yeah. For, for, for Dennis, it was, it was love. And it, it just, they, they all express themselves in different ways, but you're right, because I think they could not, they felt it internally, but they could never express themselves. And I think that's a pretty common theme with, with victims of abuse. And uh, and they didn't. I don't know if they ever told them that they loved each other and how much they admired them. And, yeah. Um, uh, the little moments that I found um, where they did express it, I included in the film. You know, I, I went through hundreds of hours of radio interviews, and I found that one little bite from Dennis talking about, you know, uh, to hear Brian Wilson record is to hear love. Huh. And I love my brother. And I went through hundreds of hours of radio interviews with wow. Dennis, um, to find that little moment and the same moment with Carl talking about it. And, um, it was important for me to try to set that record straight. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, because I think if you, you know, if you follow the beach boys, you follow Brian, you know, you read about kind of the animosity between the brothers and, and you read that it's a, it was a very complicated relationship. And, and that's all true. But I don't know how much you've read about how much they love each other. And I, that was really important to me personally when I discovered Brian talking about it so much that that be expressed in the film. Yeah, that was lovely to see. And even on another slightly odder thing, you could tell he had this weird love and... I wouldn't say hate because I don't think probably Brian hates anyone. But for Landy, you could see that that kind of he did him wrong, but also he did him right. You could see that, you know. Oh, that's an amazing that's amazing insight because you're absolutely right. I mean, he Brian is incapable of hate. He's incapable of saying anything bad about anyone, even Landy. 
he will, he, you know, that's as far as he'll go with Landy, what you see in the film. But as you said, he also gives him credit. He gives him yep. credit for losing weight. He gives him credit for getting him off cocaine and getting him off cigarettes. And, you know, the worst thing he says is like, well, he used my name, you <laughs> yeah. know, he took the money from me. And that's as bad as Brian has the ability to go, right? He just doesn't have it in his heart. Um, and, you know, I, we wanted, there was a, a member of the, I think, I think they called them the surf Nazis or something. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what those guys were called. The beach, real Beach Boy fans and Brian Wilson fans will know that term. And I, I think that's what it was. The, I can't, there's a term, but there was the guys that worked for Landy. Um, the guys with the cameras they, that went around. Those yes. mostly dudes. Okay. Yes. And those guys were apparently some of those guys. There was one or two of them or something that were really rough with Brian that oh. Jason knew about. And he wanted to get Brian on the record talking about those guys or one of those guys. I'm not sure which one it was or whom it was. But Brian wouldn't even talk bad about him. Um, it, it just, he just doesn't have it in his heart to say bad things about anyone. And it's, uh, wow. it, it's pretty miraculous because what you see in the film about Landy is, is exactly all he says about Landy. And it's, and it's just because it, it just wasn't interesting. It was just, he's just like, yeah, yeah, Landy, yeah, Landy used my name. You know, that was, <laughs> you know, yeah. other than that, he got me off drugs and he got me, you know, he got me healthy and he was embarrassed by how much he weighed and how he looked. And as far as he was concerned, Landy got him looking good again. And he was, yeah. he's proud of how he looks and he's proud that he doesn't smoke and he's proud that he shaved his beard. Right. I tried, I tried to, <laughs> I wanted him to have a beard. I said, there was a, there was a Christmas break or something. And he, um, he grew a beard out. Oh, and I was like, whoa. Cool. And I'm like, I'm like, Brian, don't shave. I want to. I want to shoot you with your beard. He goes. I want to see Brian Wilson with a beard again. And and it was one of the few times Brian said no. He's like, no, having a beard means you're lazy. Oh. And, I, and I'm like, what? And he goes, that's what Doctor Landy told me. If you have a beard, that means you're being lazy. Oh, and wow. so, and he goes, so that's why you've got to shave every day. <laughs> well, me and you, me and you were screwed. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's it. And that's it. I saw him the other day, and I was like, Brian, any chance you're gonna grow a beard again? He goes, Nope. <laughs> I thought he looked so cool with the beard. I loved all that seventies beard stuff. I was like, Come on, lads, get the beards. <laughs> Come on, man. Exactly. Get the beard. It's, it's a, it looks great on you. Yeah, and he does. Yeah. Landy instilled in that in him, and, and he applies it to this day. If you don't shave, you know, it's just because you're lazy. Wow. And I probably can argue my, I guess, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> how, from a kind of production level of a movie, how, how long, do you just storyboard everything and like how much pre-production before you actually even get to talking to Brian goes into it? Because I can imagine it's, it's a, so much work even before you talk to him. Absolutely. The, the one thing that we had uh, that we wanted to try to do was, um, you know, Jason and I kind of took a, um, a Hippocratic oath, if you will, where we said we would do no harm. Okay. So said that, you know, if Brian doesn't want to talk about something, then we're just not going to talk about it. If he starts to grow uncomfortable, we're not going to push him. And that's, that's Jason's interview style to begin with. So it wasn't that big of a decision to make. Yeah. But I, I, I let Jason know that I, you know, I believe in that as well. You know, at no point do we want to hurt Brian. Um, 
So, the, but the biggest issue with Brian from a pre-production standpoint, so I, go, I'm sorry, going back just a little bit. So we didn't have a lot of kind of questions going in. We would kind of let the questions lead us and look, where does Brian want to go? You know, where does Brian want to talk about? Mm-hmm. You know, what does you know Brian want to discuss? And and so we wanted the conversation to be much more natural that way. So we, we didn't do a lot on that. From a pre-production standpoint, one of the things that we did do, though, is that we had to clear, of course, you know, we're shooting here in L.A. and, you know, permits and all of that stuff. And you just can't show up at places and uh, in L.A. Uh, so we, you know, we were clearing, you know, locations by the hour, you know, right. uh, because if Brian was like, no, I don't want to go there. I want to go here, you know, you're doing these constant, you know, this constant juggling, you know, there was a restaurant, for example, I can't remember the name of it. It was a Mexican restaurant that Brian went to. I think it might've been El Cholo. It may have been El Cholo on Western Avenue in downtown LA restaurant. That's been here since like the thirties. Wow. And Brian's family used to go there all the time. And Jason and I thought, it would be like his dad, like they would go there like on, like on a Sunday or something. Right. Like right. One of his favorite restaurants. And it would be a family dinner out, you know, to go to El Cholo's and, um, and it's still there. It's still, it's still open and, and the original is still there. And so we must've cleared that restaurant. I'm not exaggerating Paul 10 times wow. and, you know, set up tables, got permission to shoot there. And every time we would bring it up, you know, Paul or uh, Brian would go, no, I, I, I don't want to go there today. Let's go there <laughs> and so go there tomorrow. All right, Brian, we're going to head down to El Cholo. No, 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 I don't want to go there today. Let, let's go next time. And we must have done that 10 times. And wow. I felt so bad for that restaurant um, because, you know, so there was a lot of that kind of just scrambling around trying to, you know, you know, do what Brian wanted to do. You know, it was like, you know, we tried to clear, like, does he want to go into the houses? And so we would set it up so that we could go into some of the houses. And he's like, nope, I don't want to get out of the car. <laughs> well, you could work to get that, right? In case yeah. he didn't want to do it. Uh, but if he didn't want to do it, we just simply didn't do it. And we would call people and say, we're sorry. Uh, you know, so there was a lot of apologies because there was a lot that was cleared. And a lot that was set up that Brian just didn't want to do. And so, yeah, yeah, a lot of work put into that. And then a lot of work apologizing to people that we didn't do it. Right. I can, I can imagine that. Was there many, was there many other ways you were going to interview him apart from the car? I know you said you sat down and did it to start thing were you going to do like the because was that that bit at the start with the restaurant which is which i liked and it's i liked when you said you were getting the the bill and he was like so happy that you were paying for the meal i love that (laughs) he's such a funny guy yeah he really is uh yeah so what how it kind of evolved was uh i did the very first interview with him and uh it was audio only um in studio three over um at uh, western and which is the, you know, which of course is the, the pet sounds world. And um, that was my first interview with him, but I did, there was no camera. It was just me and Brian and, and a microphone. And, um, and that was right. not very good. Right. Okay. Right. Um, so then I was like, well, if I was only going to be audio only, I need to, you know, I, I, I got to have something better than this. So this isn't going to work. So then I had this idea that um, well, what if we bring him back to us? Because I wanted to kind of do them in the studio. So I said, well, what if we go to Capitol Records 
And we went to Capitol, rented out the Capitol Records for the day, Studio A, the big the big studio where he recorded all, you know, his first three albums. Wow. And um, had him set at the piano, and I had him surrounded by kind of friends. Um, so we had Mark Lonette there, who's a longtime mixer and engineer. Uh, we had uh, Gary from his band. And we had Alan Boyd, who's a Beach Boy historian, and uh, I think Darren. And we just kind of had them sitting around, Brian at the piano, and and those guys sitting at uh, around the piano, like at a piano bar, if you will. And uh, we had a little um, uh, station set up where we could cue music, and the guys could play some songs for Brian and kind of have a back and forth conversations, kind of like you know, buddies sitting around a bar, if you will. That's cool. Uh, and so we tried that, and that was just okay. You know, I mean, it was still, um, I if I had kept kind of pushing on it and pushing on it and pushing on it, I maybe could have got there, but I think it would have been really, you know, an unpleasant experience for Brian. Right. Uh, because it wasn't, it, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't a failure, but it wasn't great. And I could just tell Brian, and he kept looking at his watch. You know, it was always one of those, you know. Never a good sight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He like, answer a question, you know, from, from Alan and, or something. And he goes, no, no, you know, that's, uh, you know, um, you know that, that melody was from this song or something. He would answer, and then he would look at his watch, you know. And it right. was like, right. I never wanted him to feel that way. So we did try that. Um, like I said, I could have pushed him, but I, I didn't. And, um yeah, and then we just came. Then that's when we came to the car idea and said, "Okay, let's." Uh, and then I did do an interview up up in his piano room, up in his music room. Right. Um, that you see that at the beginning of the room. Yeah. That's Brian's um, music room and his piano where he he works. And it's filled with all his memorabilia and stuff and all of his awards. And um, at that point, you know, I'd already been working with him for several months, and I thought it might be a little better, and maybe we can try this again. And that nah, didn't. <laughs> how does that how does that make you feel because that must be kind of you know you're trying to make something that you want to make and then it's kind of not working how how do you feel like do you do you ever go oh i'm not going to do this or do, are you constantly just trying to keep thinking of different ways to do it because it has to be slightly disheartening when you're trying and trying and you, you know you can get to where you want to get but it's how to get there oh it's so disheartening Paul. it is brutally disheartening right I, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, the, the best description i have is like it's you know it's like you're boxing with mike tyson and, <laughs> you know and you, you're just getting your butt kicked but you're not knocked out and you got to go back in there again you know yeah. what i mean and you just know as soon as that bell rings you know he's gonna you know you're gonna go back out there and get your butt kicked again <laughs> And it just felt like that. It was just like, because you can't give up, you can't surrender, right? You know, um, and so, but it is, it's so disheartening. <laughs> it just yeah. crushes you. And, and you leave thinking, oh my gosh, I'll never work again. You know, it's like, that's it. My, my career is over. And I'm sure, you know, um, there was one of the reviews um, I can't, it was one of the LA Times writers who said, you know, now Brent Wilson understands what every other music journalist has felt <laughs> for the last 30 years. And uh, I thought that was a funny line. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. I think everyone can kind of see, though, the way Brian is on interviews. You're like, I, I always feel so sorry for the interviews. I'm like, oh, the poor guys, man. Because you're trying to get something out of him. And he's like, yep, cool. That's it. <laughs> just like, how did you... Um, <laughs> 
And I think what it is too, it's like, because I was thinking about it because I'm trying to figure out how to make this happen. And I think, you know, you know, Brian has been interviewed since he was 19 years old, right? He's been given interviews, you know, he's 80, he'll be 80 here in just a few months. And yeah. he's been doing interviews, you know, for 60 years, that guy has been doing interviews. Same questions, been, same questions. Same questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same questions for 60 years. And he's, um, he, he's brutally honest, you know, he doesn't know how to to deceive right mm. right like he doesn't know you know so he doesn't know how to take an answer that would just be no and make it something else right yeah. he doesn't know how to do that um he is i think comfortable in his legacy right there's a lot of interviewers you know a lot of people will interview now because they kind of want to get their legacy straight right yeah. they want so that's a motivation is they want to set the record straight or get the legacy straight i think you know, Brian could kind of care less. I think he's happy that people love his music. Um, mm. But I think Brian likes his music and that means a lot to him. And, and, but it's just not important to him, it seems like. And then the other thing too is Brian is okay on his money. You know, Brian doesn't need the money. So yeah. he doesn't need to sell his back catalog. You know, yeah. he doesn't need to push something. He doesn't need to go on Jimmy Fallon and sell his latest album. You know, you know what I mean? He's just, so all those kind of usual motivations that are there, and you couple that with he's been doing it for 60 years, and he just doesn't, you know, he's not comfortable meeting strangers and, you know, new people coming in and, you know, every, yeah, it, it's just a perfect storm of ways not to make a documentary. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when, um, oh, was some in 2000 and, was it 2007, 2006? I don't know. Anyways, the, that album he did, That Lucky Old Son, before yes. it came out, they premiered it in London. So me yes. and my friend, me and my friend got tickets to it, went over to London to, to see it. And we were, <laughs> you know, it was in the Royal, what's it called? The Royal Festival Hall. They have these little kind of boots like things. So, yes. Like, yes. so we yes. were like, I was like saying to my friend, hey, there's no one in those boots. Let's kind of take a you know, sly walk over and go in. Anyways, we walked over. But we were like, you know, giving it large, boogieing all the night. And uh, afterwards, we're walking outside and this woman runs up to us. And she's like, hey, were you the guys dancing at the thing? And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they were like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And all I see is, um, oh, I forget his name, but but Scott, who used to be in this band, it was his wife. He thought we were, I was like, dude, we're not hitting on your wife. We're not, we're just, we're just, we're, we're just Beach Boys fans. And he's like, oh, cool. So we started talking to him and they were like, hey, do you want to come and meet Brian? And I was like, I was like, ah, no, I don't really want to annoy him. And they're like, huh? I was like, no, nah, it's cool. So do you want to come? T- do you want to come tomorrow night to the thing? He said, "Okay, yeah, we'll come tomorrow night." But we had never booked any place in, so we couldn't. We were like had nowhere to stay, so our flight was like whatever. And then I texted uh, Scott's wife, said, "Oh, we can't go. We have to go home." Blah, blah blah. But I just was like, "Yeah, I don't really want to annoy the guy." I, I know everyone was like when I tell them, "Like, what did you meet him?" I was like, "Yeah, but I just don't want to annoy the guy." Like, I love yeah. his music, and I just was like, nah, I'll leave him." He can, that's really sweet. Know, no, that, that's really, really sweet. Yeah, that but it was a, it was it was unbelievable to hear the new music. I was like, whoa, and then, like all these little sections and stuff like that. But I think there is that thing of like, you know, he has so many people clamoring to just, you know, I, I think people think they can get that magic from him. And, you know, they just, yeah. you know, I just like, I think he needs a bit, he deserves a bit of peace, I think. 
yes, yes. That's a great way to put it. They can kind of get that magic from him. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a lovely way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a lovely way to put it. But I, I, I will tell you, I think, you know, in Scott's probably with Scott's situation and I've seen it with some of the other band members, I know that the band re and so does Brian band and the Brian, and the band love it when uh, there's younger people at the, in, the, in, the, in the audience. And they love it when, you know, Brian's music is, is reaching another generation. And I've seen the band where they're watching the crowd and they'll see younger fans and they'll invite them back or they'll give them set lists. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've seen those moments. And I so I know how much they appreciate, you know, when there's, you know, long haired rocker, you know, <laughs> you know rock out to, to lucky old son. I, I know how much that means to them to know that their music is, is reaching, uh, um, additional generations. Uh, they yeah. love, love playing the festivals in the, in Europe, for right, example. Right. Right. You know? Oh, they were really, they were really sweet. They were so sweet. Like we even uh, we said they were like, "Where are you from?" And we were like Ireland, and they told us about a Brian Bono story, which was hilarious. I was thought I was quite funny. And, um, is that the uh, is that the is that the diet story? Yes, the Ivan Novello Awards. <laughs> what was the awards? What was the awards? I, Ivan Ivan Novellos. It's I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that is the coolest. I thought that told that to so many people after it. So I was like, hey, this is a cool Brian story. I, 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 I told greatest so, Brian story, oh, isn't it? It's the best Brian Wilson story. It's just well, you so should cool. tell it now because your listeners are probably asking. These guys are talking about it, but they're not saying it. So you should tell people the story. Okay. Well, basically. Bono comes over. This is what I don't know. Is there might be slightly different, but he comes over to Brian and it's a whole we're not worthy kind of thing. And Brian <laughs> didn't know who he was and asked him to get a Diet Coke. And Bono graciously came back with the Diet Coke and Brian said, Thanks. <laughs> that's yeah. what that's the one I heard. Is it the same yeah, for you? Basically it. So I, I never knew what the award show was. So yes. he says that I didn't yeah, it was an award or a, a tribute concert, right, or something. Yeah, yeah, Ivan Novello Awards, like these very prestigious, like songwriting awards. You get them for like, comp- I think it's in Sweden they do it. But yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So I knew it was a very prestigious thing. And Brian, as you see in the movie, Brian has a chair, his big leather chair that he sets on beside the stage, you know, so that he can kind of relax. A lot of fans have seen photos of Brian, and it's it's a big recliner. It's a big leather recliner. And oh, he was he was sitting on that chair. He's sitting in that chair. Oh. Yeah, he's sitting in the chair, and Bono comes up to him on his knee because Brian's in his chair, and Bono <laughs> gets down on his knee and tells Brian, uh, "My name is Bono, and I'm one of your biggest fans. And if there's ever anything I can do for you, please just let me know." Yeah. And Brian goes, "I could use a diet coke." <laughs> and Bono went and got him a diet coke. And uh, if that is not the epitome of, of Brian Wilson's life in one story, and I don't know what is. That's for sure. Hey, your version's better than mine. You, you you got the chair in and everything. I didn't know about the chair, so that just makes it even better for me. The chair, and then down on one knee. The fact that Bono is literally on one knee on the concrete, going, you know, is there anything I can do for you? Like. Yeah. Maybe, can you write me a song or maybe you can you sing on my next album or all of the things that your Bono gets asked. Yeah. Hey, can you tweet about my music video or, you know, all of those things that, 
stars and Bono offers that may ask. And Brian Wilson comes back with, I can use a Diet Coke. Wow. That's so, I've <laughs> and then Bono goes and gets the Diet Coke. That's the best part of the story. <laughs> yeah, that is, that Bono, is the coolest part. <laughs> I have an image of Bono running around, you know, in the basement of some arena or somewhere, scrambling around, asking people, hey, man, where can I find a Diet Coke machine? You know, and does anybody have a dollar? Because I'm sure Bono doesn't carry money. And he's looking for a dollar in a vending machine in yeah. the basement of some place to buy yeah. Brian and Diet Coke. And I, I love that story. <laughs> there's so many, there's so many Bono stories. Like Van Dyke told me a Bono story about like, what was it? He had, yeah, he was playing in Dublin. And it was like the... He, he was going back to his, his hotel or whatever, and Bono said, "Here, take this umbrella." So he gives him the umbrella. He co- he goes back to L.A. or California, where he comes, and he opens up the umbrella, and it had Bank of Ireland written on it, which are free umbrellas you get from the Bank of Ireland. <laughs> this big rock star is the free umbrella. I just thought it was so funny. Van Dyke uh, put it a bit more like he gave me a free fucking umbrella, something like that. So I was like, I thought it was hilarious. But there's so many Bono stories. There's a Bono. I won't tell you too much, but this is a funny Bono story. Someone told me this once. There was Bono and and another guy were sitting at a table. And they were eating food and a guy comes up to them and says, hey, can I take a picture with you? And Bono says, yeah, you can take it after the meal. You know, we're just eating. He's eating with his friend. And um, anyways, the guy comes up. Bono says, OK, he takes the picture. He asks the friend, hey, can you take the picture of me and Bono? And he takes the picture, goes back to his table. And the friend goes, why didn't you get a picture with Bruce Springsteen as well? <laughs> the guy didn't know who Bruce Springsteen was and asks him to take the picture. He had no clue who Bruce Springsteen was. I was like, oh my God, that is just so cool. So there's many that's of those. Great. It's a good that story. Is, yes, that's a great story. Poor Bruce is like, yeah, okay, I'll take that picture. <laughs> but you know, like through time, like people, different people you meet to keep to, everyone's got like different stories about certain things and it's always, you know, we kind of forget that people who are famous are human as well, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, it's, and it's lovely to see that Bono has heroes. And it's lovely to see that Bruce Springsteen and, and uh, you know, Elton, you know, couldn't have not been more gracious. I mean, uh, El- Elton loves Brian. And, yeah. you know, uh, we did an interview the other day, you know, together as me and Brian and, and Elton. Oh, wow. And Elton was on Zoom and from his house. And, and it was just the moment where they were talking and, and, you know, Elton is, is, was telling me when we did our interview, he had just started collecting vinyl again. And, you know, he was at a record store in Vegas and he had bought Lucky Oak Sun on vinyl. Oh, cool. And he had just came home and he had played that, he played that vinyl. And, you know, it's a conversation that you and I would be having. You know, yeah. at plans about Brian, and, and here's Elton going. Yeah, I was in a record store and I bought Lucky Old Son again on vinyl. That's cool. And um, yeah, they just they 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 love him. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Cameron Crowe, the director. Yep. yep. Uh, we had an event the other night with Cameron Crowe, and um, you know, Cameron told Brian, "It's like, hey man, you saved my life." You know, he goes, your, your music saved my life. It got me through some of the hardest times in the world. And, you know, this is a guy that works with some of the biggest stars in, in, in the business. And he's an Academy Award winning writer and director. And, and he's like, you know, Brian Wilson, you saved my life. So there is something that's just so human about it. And I think there's something about Brian's music that brings that out in people. Right. Yeah. Like he, 
that he, his fans, um, I think are some of the most loyal fans in, in music, right? Like the ones that get Brian really get Brian and they will be with him no matter what. And, For sure. um, and, and that's from me to you to Bono. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I have the exact same experience. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Bruce says it's the music when he's in his garage and he's working on his motorcycles and he's putzing around with his cars. That's the music he plays. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, when he wants to kind of, you know, that's, that's the music that he puts on. And um, it, it's, it's Brian's fans, I think, understand at a deeper level than most fans do. I think there's only, there's very few artists that are out there that kind of transcend that those emotional boundaries that we all put around ourselves mm-hmm. and, and Brian's music cuts right to the heart and, and speaks directly to you. And uh, yeah, Bono, Bruce, Elton, me, you, yeah. uh, you know, we're all in the exact same category. And I love that. Yeah. Man. Cause it's just authentic, isn't it? You can like, like we were saying earlier, you can just feel it. There's no manipulation. If you know what I mean, a lot of modern music, there's a certain type of emotional manipulation. I, I feel that that goes on. But. Absolutely. And, it, and it's a really good point. I mentioned this is, uh, if you listen to the soundtrack or if you see the film or if you've seen Brian in concert, right? Like if you see Brian Wilson in concert, they don't manipulate his voice, right? Like mm-hmm. if Brian misses a note, he misses a note. If he's not in good voice that night, and it'd be very easy to tap a button and make Brian Wilson sound amazing. Yeah. And they don't do that. And, um, and we didn't do that in the film and we don't do that on the soundtrack, you know, um, Let's talk to Jim James, you know, the song Right Where I Belong, our song that uh, that's the original song for the film. Um, you know, Jim James said he just cried when he first time he heard the vocals because you just know he's giving it everything he's got. Yeah. And everything he's got is not going to be perfect. If you swing too hard, you're going to miss, right? Yeah. But Brian's going to always swing as hard as he can. Yeah. And usually that means you're going to miss notes and you're, and, but that's just the way he does it. That's the way he, he, he puts everything out there. He can emotionally in his heart and, 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 and it comes across really raw and really honest, as you said, I'm, I'm really, when you hear the soundtrack, um, all of those songs, you know, nothing's sweet and nothing's touched, nothing's, you know, and it could be done on tour, we could have done it for the film and we could have done it for the record. It's a push of a button nowadays. And yeah. uh, I and like that though. I like yeah. that. And I, I thought that song was kind of the right where I belong. It's cool. He did something interesting with the intro, that kind of vocal phrasing that he does. And then when it goes into, I thought that was cool. Cause you get that kind of blast of color, you know, there's like this kind of more darker tone and then the color kind of comes in. I really like that. It's such a Brian Wilson thing, isn't it? Yeah. Dark, light, dark, light. It is such a Brian Wilson technique, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's something that I think encompasses his life, right? It just, his whole world just seems to be that way. And it ref- it's reflected in his music. Yeah, yeah. It's, For sure. It's dark, light. It's, yeah, it just kind of bounces back and forth between both worlds. And uh, and I love Jim's vocals on it. You know, Jim's, Jim took the vocals um, he took interview bites that Brian had given um, with Jason over the years. That's so when he says like, you know, I want to be the Yankees greatest center fielder, or I get scared a lot. All of those are things that 
Brian has said in interviews with Jason. Oh. And Jim took those moments and put them together, you know, and then embellished some stuff on top. But the, most of that film is Brian's quotes oh. that he has given. And Jim tied that together to, to make a song that was autobiographical in a lot of ways and as much a way as you could you could in a Brian Wilson autobiography or autobiographical song. Yeah, it works really well with the with the film like that uh, that I get anxious I get scared a lot like it 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 just has this it tones in perfectly with the actual film when you see the film because like I was saying to you at the start I didn't really know there was going to be a soundtrack out and then I was like wow hey the soundtrack and I listened to it afterwards and I love that it had going home on it I know he did that that he took that and put it on on um, Lucky Old Son and uh, I'd never heard that one before. So I was like, oh, whoa, cool. So there's all those yeah, that was interesting. a great find. Yeah. I wanted to kind of for the soundtrack, um, you know, we, I, I wanted to kind of fill in some of the songs that, um, that are not only just, you know, that are also the rare songs that are in the film. Um, you know, there's some, some really cool unreleased tracks in the film. And then there's, of course, the new song. And, and then there's the, the new live music that Brian did in the studio for the film. But there was a couple extra slots left over. And I was like, oh, you know what? Let's, let's give the fans <laughs> yeah. you know, some of these great Andy Paley songs, slightly American music, going home, that uh, may not be in the film, but they're, you know, they're songs that I've always wanted to hear remastered. Yeah, and you know, out there officially, they're out there on YouTube and there's adult child and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, let's hear them remastered. You know, let's let's hear them get a proper mastering and let's you know let's give them a proper uh, a proper home. So uh, so I was really happy that we were able to do that. And and then yeah, we've got uh, you know Brian's been talking about making this kind of rock and roll album for years. And, um, you know, so I asked him, I said, look, man, I don't care what you record in the studio. I just want to watch you recording for the film. So I was yeah. like, what do you want to record? I was like, there's no agenda. There's no label here. There's no A&R person. Yeah. You know, what do you want to record? And he goes, honeycomb is the first thing he said. <laughs> and um, it's okay. Long Promise Road. The night was so young, which oh, um, I love that I, song. Yeah. It was a song that he, Brian loves. You know, he he just loves that song. And we use that score in the beginning, but that's on the album. Um, and she um, was one other, but those were the songs that he, oh, and then they, I can't remember the other songs, but then there was other songs that we recorded that he, we just didn't finish, but he recorded uh, Johnny Be Good and cool. little, little Honda. So like nice. he just had in his mind these ideas, these songs that were, you know, what is rock and roll? And those are kind of the songs that are, Rock and roll to Brian, and I was like, "Yeah, let's go do it, man. Let's go, <laughs> let's go have fun. You record whatever you want to record, and uh, yeah, if you want to re-record a little Honda, that's cool by me." <laughs> <laughs> and is he gonna like do a proper like a full whole album of rock and songs, or is he? Is I he... hope so, man. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. I know they're going back out on tour this summer. Um, you know, COVID, of course, you know, took the wind out of everybody. Yeah. And place and stuff like that and they're still very cautious with brian i had to be tested you know every day and stuff before i saw him when we when we've been doing the press right um you know so it's hopefully we get to a place where all those guys can just get back into a studio and jam and, and cool. have some fun and uh because i think you know one of the things that brian did do is he you know he got a vocal coach during covid oh. to kind of keep his voice going so there wow. was a little bit of a tour here 
right when it kind of felt like things were going to ease up about a year ago or no, a few months ago, there was a little moment there where Brian did like, I don't know, 15, 20 shows, something like that here on the East coast, uh, on the East coast. And then like one here, one or two here on the West coast. And I went and saw one of those shows. I went and saw the long beach show and he sounded amazing. You know, he sounded as good as I've heard him in a long time because he's got, he's got a vocal coach that he works with, you know, three or four days a week now just to keep his voice going. Wow. And um, so I thought, you know, and then he's, he's moving around better than I've seen him in a while on his walker, you know, cause he had those two back surgeries Yeah. and uh, you know, for a long time there, he was in a wheelchair and then he was on the walker and he still uses the walker, but he hauls ass on that walker now. <laughs> and um, so his back is getting better. He's still doing his physical therapy. And so, so, uh, you know, some, some good things did kind of come out of COVID a little bit, you know, yeah. allowed Brian to you know to work on his voice and, and work on uh, his physical therapy and stuff. So I'm hoping the answer, long answer to your short question was, yeah, I hope those guys get back in the studio real soon and, uh, and yeah, finish up whatever Brian Wilson thinks is the rock and roll. Yeah. But in the meantime, there's some great rock and roll songs on the soundtrack. If you're a fan, check it out. Yeah. It's a, it's a really cool soundtrack. You should, you should ask to film the next album. That'd be cool. I used to always love when bands had put out these little EPKs where they'd have, you know, in the studio recording and yeah. like string sections yeah. and everything. And they don't do them anymore. I'm like, I always love that. Yeah. Cause you're like, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, you're seeing me the intricacies too. of everything. I'd love Brian to do a classical record. I would love him to do a love classical record just as a, as a selfish person to, you know, <laughs> I'd love him to just, hear hear like you know you probably get paul to help him with the orchestration like writing you know scoring it out but you know his music as you know you know yourself it's very it's very orchestrated and like he uses a lot of jazz harmonics and stuff like that and i just i think in a cla- like something classical would be just so beautiful like because his melodies are so winding and stuff like that yeah yeah it's a very it's a it's one of those records you put it on and it just relaxes you you know, hearing yeah. hearing that classical music, yeah, yeah, it's just very soothing, and and it does. His um, and it's nice to hear the piano isolated. I love when the you know I love Brian's piano work and his yeah his whole life is the piano. It seems like and um you know he's he's comfortable behind the piano. You yeah. know he he finds comfort there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that, and um you know just uh, just knowing that he. You know, he wants to keep working. I, I love the fact that, you know, he wants to keep touring. He wants to kind of keep making records. He wants to do these things. And he's, you know, why do I, why would I retire? You know, I'm 80 yeah. years old. What would I do? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, you know, everybody knows he doesn't like the beach. So he ain't going to go sit on the beach. So, you know. <laughs> he's resilient. The man is resilient. You got to hand it to him. Anyways, before, I've, I've taken up so much of your time, man. I'm really sorry about that, but I could talk no, to you for hours. I'm sure I could talk to you for hours because so interesting. But before you go, um, what are you working on now? Is there anything you can talk about that you're working on now? Yeah, I've got uh, I got a project uh, that I should be able to announce here in the next couple of weeks. We'll go to right. announce on a little something different. And, right. then, uh, and then Jason Fine and I have got some projects that, uh, that we're cooking up. Hopefully, we'll vote announced soon. We want to kind of keep uh, keep this uh, this going, but uh, it's it's such a um, uh, uh, it's just such a joy and, a, and an honor to make these kinds of films and be entrusted with somebody's story and uh, to you know to be able to live with their music. Yeah, and um, so it's it's something that I enjoy, and it's something that I, I take not not just enjoy. But it's something that I take a great responsibility with. So I kind of choose and pick them carefully. 
Yeah. So, because uh, you've got to, um, I don't know how to do them except to put your heart into them, you know, put, you know, completely in your heart. And then the other important part is, is you got to like their music because you're going to listen to their music a lot. <laughs> yes. You know, so if it's somebody you don't like, it's going to be pretty miserable. So. Yeah. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be music you truly, truly love. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have something here in a couple of weeks here to announce. Oh, that's you. great. Well, you can tell that you put a lot of love into it. You can, you know, it resonates from the movie and I really, I thought it was a great movie. Really enjoyed it. Total different kind of take than all the other documentaries, but I really enjoyed it and congrats to that. When's, um, the release in Europe? So I think they're announcing it this week. Oh, great. Um, I was hoping we were going to have the date today before we spoke. Oh. Um, but unfortunately, I, I checked my emails right before we got on, and they haven't officially given the dates, but the, there should be an announcement um, very, very soon with the official dates. But it'll be here in Europe, certainly within the next couple of months. Oh, I would imagine probably by the end of January, February, uh, it should be out. So don't, you know. I wish I had the specific dates to give you, but just look for the announcements for fans listening. Uh, keep an eye out. They'll be on Brian's, I'm sure, Instagrams and, and Facebooks and things like that. Um, and, our, and on the Brian Wilson doc website, yeah. uh, they'll have the dates. But it should be literally any day now they'll have those dates announced. Great. And uh, it should be out very, very soon. Can't wait for Brian's European fans to see the film. I see all the comments. You know, I see the I get the question a thousand times, and it breaks my heart that you know that I don't know, and all I can say is soon. Um, but I know Brian's as big in Europe, if not bigger, than he is in the states. And um, you know, I, I I I've gotten a thousand questions like, when's it coming out in Europe? And it just kills me. But I don't know. It just kills me. But I know they were. You know, it was. It's going to be out theatrically, and I know so much of this was dependent on COVID. Of course, you know, everybody's trying to find those windows, you know, to make people feel safe. And and uh, um, but we really want to try to get the film in the theaters in Europe and in here. We had a nice little run here in the United States for for a couple of weeks, and we want to be able to do that for at least a, you know a couple of days in Europe, so that people can see and most importantly hear. Brian's music in a theater because when you hear his movie or you hear this movie and you hear Brian's music in a theater yeah. it is an unbelievable experience Paul it's an unbelievable experience so I encourage yourself anybody who's seen the movie already if it's playing in a theater go see it because just to hear Brian's music in that environment is an amazing experience I'm definitely down for that Man, thank you so much for taking time to do this. I'd love to have you on again just to talk about like your career and directing, and because that's a whole other yeah. world that I think is fascinating too. If you want, of course, because I know you're yeah, absolutely anytime, man. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to reach out anytime, and hopefully, we'll have a new project actually to talk. Cool, about man. Soon. Yeah, cool. We can do it in a few months, I suppose. You'll probably know more yeah. by then and be interested yeah, to talk. Be great. To. great, man. Well, thank you so much. Have a lovely evening. It's really dark here, so yeah, <laughs> your night. So thank you for this morning and, and for pushing and all that stuff. Stuff. Yeah, the uh, we did the Australia went late, and yeah, so they that was my first interview was for the international was Australia. Oh, cool! And um, so they're going to start picking up that over here over the next couple of weeks. So the timing on this worked out really well. Excellent, so, excellent. Yeah, well, thank you so fun. much. I really appreciate your time. Like I said, love the movie, and uh, good luck with it. I'm sure it's going to do Great. extremely well. Have a lovely day, my thank man. Cheers, Brent. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.